Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. Well, hello. Um, thank you, Pastor Brandon. <clears throat> it really means a lot to have a fathers, fathers who love you. So I'm really thankful. And uh, having said that, I'd like to pray for my boy Harrison. He just got married uh, yesterday, last night, and I'm just so thankful for him. Uh, One time, Pastor Brian Clark, he mentioned at Mission Focus about Pastor Sam, how he, he he could just kiss him right on the lips. And Last night, man, I, I was looking at Harrison, and uh, man, I just realized I love man, that man so much, and I could really just kiss him, because he's my best friend, one of my best friends, and so I want to pray for him. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, um, thank you for my brother Harrison, and I pray for him that he be enjoying his honeymoon, enjoying his time with his new wife, and I pray for his marriage, Lord. Uh, that you would um, use it. I pray that um, this, you would be establishing it, uh, establishing the foundation of his marriage, that it would take and empower his ministry in the future, um, and that you'd use it for your glory. So I pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, having said that, I hope I don't cry too much today. But um, my name's Antonio Trong, like Pastor Brandon said, um, and Pastor Brandon, he's the, the pastor of Hirakaya, and so I'm not the pastor, um, but I'm very thankful for our pastor, and especially uh, how he would entrust me to preach here today. But I'm married to my beautiful wife. I, I don't know where she is, but uh, she said not to say too much about her. She's a little bit shy. <laughs> but uh, I'll get, that's to give you some background on who I am and where I'm from, and hopefully uh, if the, at the end, if we have some time, I'll share my testimony of salvation. But uh Really, some family history of me. I'm from California. My mom is from Mexico. Uh, my great-great-great-grandfather, his name was also Antonio. And uh, he, watched, he, was in, he was in Spain. And he watched his parents get murdered during the Civil War. And he had to leave with his siblings um, on a ship, not knowing where to go, uh, to flee war. And he ended up in Mexico. And my grandfather, he worked in the fields. He picked vegetables and fruits um, all around, you know, the southwest of the United States. And eventually he'd get his green card, sponsor his family over from Mexico, and they would uh, settle in a town called Oxnard, California. And uh, my dad, my dad, he's from Vietnam. Uh, he's, we're not Vietnamese, though. Uh, my last name is Trong, and that's just the in- English pronunciation, but it, uh, it originates from a, a Chinese last name. Um, and it's transliterated into a Latin script. And so that's how you get my last name in. My great-grandfather, he too, he lived in China during a time of war and famine. And, uh, and because of that, he took his family and left China to go to Vietnam. And two generations would be born there. Um, and they would never mix with any of the Vietnamese people uh, because, <clears throat> because of racial tensions. Um, and then the Vietnam War happened. And my dad, um, well, Vietnam, they wanted out Chinese spies. And so my dad, uh, he, would be, he would leave the country on a pirate ship with him and his uncles and aunts and cousins. And he'd leave his mother, brother, and sister behind in Vietnam. And um, they'd go on a pirate ship. They'd take their gold from them and all their possessions. And they were dropped off in an island in Malaysia where the U.S. military would come and pick them up. And my dad and their family, they'd come and settle in Oxnard, California. And my parents would meet in a college, meet in college in Northridge. Even though they both lived in Oxnard, they never met each other. And they'd go to a place called Northridge, California. It's close to L.A. And uh, there they'd get married. And they'd have two kids. And I got an older brother, and I'm the younger. And so that's really, that's who I am. But today, I come not as Antonio, nor do I come as Trong. 
but a, a Christian. And uh, like I said, I hope I have some time at the end to share my testimony of salvation. But regardless, <clears throat> little did I know of the change in my life that accepting Christ would, would cause. I can recall in high school being a very carnal and wicked boy. Even after I received Christ. And there's one prayer in my heart back then. One deep desire I really had. And it was that God would teach me this book. You know, being from California, <clears throat> where I'm from, <clears throat> I don't know if you guys know what cholos are. You guys know what a cholo is? <laughs> but uh, cholos are real. They're not like a... <laughs> like where I'm from, it's called, there's, a, there's a little ghetto called Colonia, La Colonia. That's where my mom grew up. And they have a gang called La Colonia, Colonia Chiques. They're in... That's where I grew up. I grew up in a town where, it's 90, where my high school was 90% Mexican. Uh, 1,000 students, 90% uh, Mexican. And so I grew up in a town where pretty much everybody was Catholic. There's no Christians. I knew probably three Christians growing up. And I, and I just uh, accepted Christ. And I really wanted to know the Bible. And nobody could teach me. And I was so sad. I was so sad. I had a King James Bible that saved me but I didn't understand the book. I'd read it, and it was sealed. I didn't understand it. And it broke my heart. And so I prayed to God that he would teach me this Bible. And after a year and a half or so, God would use my, my love for money. I want to become rich and I come out here to UKC, try to become a doctor, make money fast. And uh, I'd come to this church. And I, I, re I really hated it. And I'll talk more about it <laughs> later. <laughs> but one thing I knew when I came here is that they knew the book. And I remember I came to Bible study the first time. And I remember at the end, Miles Chidon, he asked if we had any questions. And I had no questions, but I had a comment. I had a comment. And I told him, I've never heard the word of God like this. And I can remember how rich those moments were, how full of savor they were, and they were a blessing to me. And God would teach me the book. And that book that was sealed would become unsealed. And that book I didn't understand, I came to understand. And I come to know the book of the Lord. And I don't claim to know I know everything about it. But... I believe it's very fitting, that's in regard of the preaching recently and everything, I think this is where God has us today, is talking about studying the Word of God. And so that's why we're going to be in 2 Timothy 2.15, and unfortunately, I'd really like to get into, you know, all the principles and stuff, but uh, that, my way ain't going to get into all those details today. We're just going to take a, a big look and generally, what is studying, you know, why do we study, and how do we study? And that's really what we're going to cover um, and so, if you don't know much about Timothy, but Timothy, he's a close friend of Paul. He has a son in the faith. You know, he was really close. I mean, out of the 14 epistles Paul wrote, Timothy was involved or around in at least eight of the 14 epistles written by Paul. And that's over half. I mean... You know, that's pretty crazy. And who knows, he could have been around more and it's just not mentioned. You know, he could have been around more. But probably the most important fact about Timothy is that he was a faithful man. 1 Corinthians 4.17 says, For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, 
who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. So Timothy was faithful. He was a beloved son. He was a good steward who could even be put in, entrusted with him to put in remembrance the believers of the ways of Christ. That's how faithful Timothy was. And it's, he was so faithful even to the point where he would follow Paul in his example of being imprisoned. You can read this in Hebrews 13, 23, where he says, Know ye that our brother Timothy is set at liberty, with whom, if he come shortly, I will see you. Timothy was faithful and he was not ashamed, and it was no wonder he'd become the first bishop or the first pastor at the church of Ephesus. And so this is the second letter that Timothy will be in. And this is different from the first. While in the first, Paul is really focusing a lot more about the structure of the local church and the offices in the local church. This second letter was written to Timothy during Paul's second imprisonment before his second trial before an emperor Nero and his subsequent martyrdom. And due to the setting, God uses it for Paul to write this epistle with essentially some, you know, fi some final words, the last command orders for war, the things that Timothy has got to hear before Paul's passing. And they focus on, on, you know, on, the, on the things he needs to remember. These final words of our exhortation, they provoke Timothy to continue in the faith, to continue in sound doctrine, and most importantly, be presented to God with eternal glory. 2 Timothy 4, 6-8 says, Paul says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me that day. And not to me only, but unto all them that also, also that love his appearing. And so as a good father in the faith, Paul wants his son Timothy to finish well just as he has. And that's the context of 2 Timothy 2.15, where we'll be. And when Paul says study, this is the reason for doing so. Paul is again exhorting Timothy to finish well, and it shall only come by studying. And so I'm going to pray for the sermon again real quick, and, uh, and then we'll hop into it. Lord Jesus, let's open our eyes and, um, yeah. Show us uh, whatever it is in our own personal, individual lives, what we need to take away. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so this is the only verse we're going to be covering today. I mean, we're going to hop around here and there, but hope we're going to try to go real in-depth here. And hopefully we can take a stroll together exploring this verse and seeing from the Bible what it's teaching itself. And so most of our time, like I said, we can talk about what, why, and how. But most of our time is going to be spent today on what. Okay, we're going to define a lot of things biblically. And so what is studying? Paul here is not giving a suggestion, but a command to Timothy to study. And we cannot forget to look at that verse, this verse in that context. Paul is talking about false teachers. We see that in verse 14. It says, Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. And then in verses 16 and 17, it says, But shun profane and vain babblings. For they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. 
And so 2 Timothy 2.15, we find it sandwiched in between these verses, warning about false doctrine. What Paul is saying is that studying is the answer and the solution to these problems of false teachers. You want to protect the church against heretics, you need to study. And that's one of the reasons why today's churches and today's Christians are full of heresy and damnable doctrines of devils. It is because the church today does not study, nor do they know how to study, nor do they have a book they can study. Now you say, you know, I'm not a study type of person, you know. That's not for me. I've never been that type of person into academics. You say, I'm not smart enough to study. Well, let's see what scripture has to say about it, man. Let's see. All right, Proverbs 15, 28. The heart of the righteous studieth to answer, but the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. Proverbs 24, 2. For their heart studieth destruction, and their lips talk of mischief. So here we have two verses where the word study comes up elsewhere in Scripture. And there are two things I want to point out here. One is that everybody studies. There are only two groups of people here, righteous and wicked, and both study. And at the end of both people studying, something comes out of their mouth. You fall into one of two camps. You're either a wicked man who is studying destruction and whose mouth with vomits wickedness, or you're a righteous man who through a process of time studies the word of God and their mouth produces an answer. And as 1 Peter 3.15 says, it talks about the answer is the reason of the hope that is in us. That's the answer to the gospel. And so everybody studies. And so I'd ask you to consider who are you? And which one, and this may be more important, after you settle that first question of who are you, which one do you want to be? Because I know which, God, which one God wants from us. And so that's the first thing. But the second thing about studying, it has nothing to do with your intelligence. As you see in these verses, it has everything to do with your heart. The word study, it only comes up a few times in Scripture, five times. But here what you find is that both times when it mentions studying and what, it, what studying involves in the person, it mentions the heart. And so you don't need to be the brightest bulb in the basket. Some of you, you may have a few screws loose. No, don't look at your neighbor when I say that. But all jokes aside, it's not your head that's the problem. The problem is the heart. If you don't want to study, if you're struggling with studying, the issue is not your head. The issue is your heart. And so what are you going to believe when it comes to that statement? Are you going to believe your thoughts or are you going to believe the word of God? You're not, it's not that you're not smart enough. It's not that you're not academic. It's not that. Everybody studies. So now that we've established that, what is studying, okay? Let's talk more about that. What does it look like? Right, we know we're commanded to, so what does it look like? Ecclesiastes 12, 12, it says, And further, by these, my son, be admonished. Of making many, thing, many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness to, of the flesh. And so here we have a, a, an admonishment, a warning, that writing books is an endless process. And I, I know Living Faith Books knows about this. But myself, I've been working on a book since March 10th of 2021. And I'm at 180 pages, and there's a lot of fluff and a lot of things that need to get trimmed out. But I'm nowhere near finishing, and it's not even a close to a rough product. You know, it's absolutely endless. And it's something that takes hard work, as we see in this verse, and in 2 Timothy 2.15, describes being a workman. And so it's something that's going to take a hard, hard work. And while that's the main focus here, to be aware of that, we, we miss something if we don't pay close attention to this verse, too. Because in the structure, we see two admonishments separated by a semicolon. And in, in, in this structure, 
is telling us the relationship between these two admonishments. They're parallel and additive. They reveal a similar truth. They reveal a similar truth. And through this, God is giving us an example as to what studying looks like. If you don't believe me, I got a bunch of cross-references where you can examine the other verses with the exact same structure. When looking at it, what we find is that studying is the making of many books. Studying is writing. It involves writing. Studying is the examination of God's word that results in writing. That's what we see when we look at this verse and put it together with those other verses. And it's a wearisome process, one without end. And so you should take heed to the admonishment to eat as much honey as you can handle, lest you vomit. Your studying should look like the making of books. It should involve writing. If you're not writing, there's no way you're studying. The making of books is so important. The first mention of the word book is in Genesis 5.1, where you find the book of the generations of Adam. And it's, it's just a record. It's a record of, of the genealogy. And that's what you see in Scripture consistently. Writing is done for a record. Things are written to be rehearsed. Things are written to be a memorial. Things are written so that you will hear the words and obey it. And things are written to witness against you. I'll read some verses that support this. Exodus 17, 14, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. So you see here the memorial, rehearse. Exodus 24, 7. And he took the book of the covenant and read it in the audience of the people. He read it. And they said, all that the Lord has said will we do and be obedient. Deuteronomy 31, 26. Take this book of the law and put it in, inside, in the side of the ark of the covenant of the Lord, that it may be there, may be there for a witness against thee. And so writing is so important. Because you need to be put in remembrance of the things that God has taught you through his word. It is so important because you need a record of things you can obey. It is so important because you need something to witness against you. And to show you your disobedience and sin. It's just like my old diary. I hate reading it. The stuff in there is absolutely atrocious and wicked. It's abominable. And every time I, I think about throwing it away. I read it, and I just want to throw it away. But at the end, I decide to keep it. I always decide to keep it because it reminds me. It's a witness of the person I was and the person God has changed me to be. It reminds me that Jesus Christ is real. It reminds me that I'm a new man. And, you know, this is one of the reasons why we have Living Faith books, because we need a memorial. We need something to rehearse and to obey and be a witness. This is why for discipleship we have a book of 18 lessons in it, because there are biblical doctrines written for a memorial, for rehearsal, for obedience, for a witness. If you didn't have that book, it'd be hard to keep track. And so that's why you should also consider joining Living Faith Books. You should consider reaching out to Melissa and join Living Faith Books. Because it's so crucial. So you need to write. You need the paper. You need the pen. And you're going to need to blot things out. Because the mistakes will be made. I have some old study notes from 2019. I'm like, oh, here's some heresy here. <laughs> Cross that out, you know. But I keep it. I kept it. Why? Because I need a memorial. I need a witness against me. Paul is an example of this, and you can read that on your own time. We're not going to go through it. The 2 Timothy 4.13. But in the next verse, we're going to see two things that studying does in you. Two things you need. 1 Thessalonians 4.11. And that you study to be quiet and to do your own business 
and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. So studying produces quietness. And biblically, quietness looks like peace. It's described as a time without war. It's a quiet time, a time with safety and security. However, contextually here in 1 Thessalonians, quietness looks like a focus on God's work. Quietness is to do your own business as the verse defines it itself. To do your business and mind your own business. So study produces a focus on God's work. And so if you wonder why you don't have peace in your life, if you wonder why you're always anxious, why you're always depressed, why you're always thinking about what other people think about you, and you're thinking about other people thinking about you, about you thinking about yourself, (laughs) and you're always insecure about how you look, it's because you don't study. You need to study. The reason for all your problems is your lack of study. For study, it produces quietness. You know, I know it's true in my life. Why I suffer from the problems I suffer with. Why I'm so vexed like Lot. I need this book more in me. I need it, man. I need the words of life in me. Not just in my head, but in my heart. I need it to change me. I need to study it and believe it. The student, the studier of the word, in our current verse, and as previously mentioned, is a workman. And what that means is the student of the Bible is a laborer. Study is something that is wearisome, as we've seen. But it's also more than that. It's more than that. A workman in your authorized King James Bible is described as a skilled craftsman involved in precious and precise work. It's like the making of jewelry with fine cuts and stones. The workman is not only that, but is also a teacher, you see, who gives other knowledge they have for the craft to carry on. Exodus 35, verses 31 and 35 says, And he, God, he being God, hath filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to what? Devise curious works to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in the cutting of stones to set them and in carving of wood and to make any manner of cunning work. And he hath put in his heart that he may teach both he and Aholiab, the son of Ahishamach, of this tribe of Dan, Dan hath he filled with wisdom of heart to work all manner of work of the engraver and of the cunning workman and of the embroiderer in blue and in purple, in scarlet and in fine linen and of the weaver, even of them that do any work and of those that devise cunning works. And so studying the Bible is skillful labor. And as we see in this verse, and there are many others, it's only something possible, maybe you missed it, but it talked about the Spirit of God. It's only possible through the Spirit of God. And it's something done in the heart through the Spirit of God. And so, brethren, we got to reckon this. This is the first key point. We must study the Bible. We must study the Bible. I do apologize for my immense need to blow my nose. <laughs> but we must. Right? We must study. And unfortunately, again, we're not going to get into all the details of studying step by step. But if you want, join a Bible study. Talk to your Bible study leader. Talk to me, and I, we can teach you. And hope, hopefully, though, this gives you a good overview and general understanding of what studying is and more specifically what studying looks like. Right? I think it's really good to get an image a visual image of what it looks like to study. And so the next thing we're going to look at is, is why we must study. 
Okay, why? We're going to read this verse again. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So in 2 Timothy 2.15, we find the answer to this question of why in two phrases. The first of which is to show thyself approved unto God. And so for someone to be approved, quite simply, this means for someone not to be a heretic. 1 Corinthians 11, 19, it says, For there must also be heresies among you, that they which are approved may be manifest among you. And so if you, don't have, if you have false doctrine, you believe things you believe that aren't biblical, they don't originate from the Bible, you're not approved. If all you do is disagree and oppose what this church teaches without trying to work through it through studying, you're not approved. 2 Corinthians 6, 3-10 says, and you want to open up your Bible for this one because it's a long one. So open up 2 Corinthians 6, 3-10. It's not, on, it's not on, on the screen. Second Corinthians 6, 3 to 10. It says, Giving no offense in anything, that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God. How? How do we approve ourselves as the ministers of God? In much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. And so this is how, this is what being approved means. To be approved is for someone to have undergone a process of trying, of trial, and proving where at the end the individual is manifested as legitimate. If I can be honest, becoming a heretic is one of my greatest fears in life. Nehemiah 13 in Bible study, oh, I mean, I was, I was so scared reading that. So scared. To think that God could do something really big in our lives. And then at the end of it, Apostasy. One of the greatest fears in my life. And that's why I tell the Bible study. I mean, I always tell man, <clears throat> I need them. I need you guys to keep me accountable. So I can become a heretic. You know, I've seen, I've seen some people leave. You know, I trusted them and they abandoned God and they abandoned me. And so this is the warning for you. If you do not study, you will become a heretic. And who you, will be, who you are will be manifested in due time. And maybe you're here right now, and to put it bluntly, you're a heretic causing division. And you're offended by some of these things. I pray that you would not be. I will confess first and foremost that I was a major grade A heretic when I first came here. I did not have fellowship with the believers at this church. Like I said, I hated it here. I did not like the people. I remember the first time I came, Pastor Kenny Morgan was preaching on discipleship. And this was in 2018. <clears throat> and he was talking about how somebody can be saved, somebody can be a Christian, but not necessarily disciple. And in my mind, I was like, no. 
if someone's saved, I'd be a disciple. You know? And so I didn't, I didn't agree with the doctrine here. I didn't like the people here. I remember <clears throat> I had a question about that. I brought it up. Somebody brought me to Miles Cheadle. And uh, I, I asked him. And Miles gave me the answer. I don't remember what he said, but. <laughs> but he gave me the answer because I was just so angry after he gave me an answer. I hated it. I was so prideful. I hated how Miles had the answer to my question. I remember I was, I was, here, I was in Kaya, we were meeting in the Episcopal church, and uh, I remember I sat down, I was wearing a suit, and uh, I was wearing some nice dress shoes, and I remember my friend Alvaro, my, my now friend Alvaro, <laughs> but I remember praying to God that first time I was here, I, I prayed to God, I begged God, God, don't let this man speak to me. I saw him looking at my shoes, and I, I really meant it. It was a genuine prayer. <laughs> I was begging God that he would not speak to me. Uh, people here were just not my cup of tea. And even I met Alex Allen that first day, and uh, I never told Alex this, and so I do. I'm sorry, I was a wicked man. <laughs> but I met Alex Allen, and I thought he was a homeless thug that was going to rob me. <laughs> I, and I'm not saying that to be mean at all. I say that just being honest about my wickedness. Like, I'm dead serious here. I, I was a wicked man. And I don't mean that lightly. I was very wicked. I didn't like the people. I hated them. I disagreed with their teachings on discipleship. I came here, and I was not eating unclean meats from what the Bible was saying, the Levitical law. I was abstaining from that because I thought it would be a sin to do that. And I remember the first time I heard somebody say, praise the Lord, I was complimenting them on giving their testimony. And I was just so offended. I had never heard anybody say, praise the Lord, in my life. And I was like, what do you mean, praise the Lord, man? What do you mean? <laughs> I'm complimenting you, and you, you're like, telling me, praise God? <laughs> you know, I was not... I, I remember and I know what it was like to be in an environment that was completely different from what I ever experienced. And so I'm sure there's more things I'm not listing. But I had false doctrines. And it, but even though I hated all these things about this church, I wanted to know God. And like I said, I knew they knew the book. And that was the only reason why I started to say. I wanted that book to change me. I wanted it to change me. And despite the fact that I hated this church, despite the fact that I was a prideful, carnal, and disgusting individual, Despite I was a man whose God was his belly, God had mercy on me. And he changed me, and he taught me how to study. God had mercy on that wicked sinner. And so if you're here, come with a humble heart, with a seeking heart. You're welcome and invited. And if you humble yourself and have the right heart, God will work it out. He did it in my life. We got to have like a tissue counter. How many tissues did I use today? And, you know, it's those people that became some of my greatest friends, those people that I really hated. I know it was the case for me. I mean, I got a picture up here. They became great friends. Great friends for me. The first two people I didn't like and was praying for God not to let them talk to me, <clears throat> they became my good friends. 
And we stu- so we study to become approved, to be approved. Because one day we will stand before God. And as the second phrase, we want to stand as someone who needeth not to be ashamed. The cause of shame is sin. And the first mention of shame is in Genesis 2.15. It says, Adam and Eve were naked and were not ashamed. But when sin crept in, they covered themselves. Their nakedness became shameful to them. And that is what happens when you don't study, as we will see. When we don't rightly divide, you won't be approved and thereby stand before God ashamed at the judgment seat of Christ when he judges you not for salvation, but for how you use the liberty you gained through Jesus. 1 John 2.28 says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Again, this is the whole reason Paul is writing to Timothy. Paul wants Timothy to be presented as a glorious sacrifice to Jesus at the end of his life. Paul wants Timothy to end up rejoicing in heaven with eternal glory, rejoicing at what God has done in his life. And if you want to not be ashamed at the coming of the Lord Jesus, you must study. That is why we study. And so, brethren, we got to reckon this. Study to be approved and not be ashamed. Study to be approved and not ashamed. Because if you don't study, it's, it's sin. And you will be ashamed at the coming of Christ, at the judgment seat, because you didn't use your liberty for God's glory. So that is why we study. So how do we study? How do we study? All right. We talked about how it's something done in the heart. We saw that's God working it out through us. But how else? Okay, let's read this verse again. 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We study to show ourselves approved to God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, by rightly dividing and we rightly divide the word of truth. Simply what that means is just what you think it means. It is to divide in the right manner. It is to study the right way because you can divide it wrongly. To divide rightly is to divide the word according to the way of God truly. Luke 20, 21. Jesus gives a good example in how he teaches. And they said, they asked to him saying, Master, we know that thou sayest and teachest rightly, Neither acceptest thou the person of any, but teachest the way of God truly. And so when you see what the Bible says about right, you find it very quickly that what is truly right is what's right in God's eyes. Deuteronomy 12, 25 to 28 says, Thou shalt not eat it, that it may go well with thee, and with thy children after thee, when thou shalt do that which is right, that which is right in the sight of the Lord. Verse 28, observe and hear all these words which I command thee, that it may go well with thee and with thy children after thee forever, when thou doest that which is good and right in the sight of the Lord. So you don't get to divide this book. You don't get to study it according to a man-made theological framework, i.e. covenant theology. You don't get to divide this book according to an allegorical method of scripture, of interpreting scripture, nor according to your own ideas. You don't get to interpret scripture based off your favorite translation. You don't get to interpret the Bible on what your theological seminary taught you, using the Bible to support their beliefs. You get to interpret scripture how the Bible tells you. So you don't get to use Bible verses and cherry pick to come up with your doctrine, to support what you believe. You let the Bible speak for itself, and you believe the Bible. The Bible is not a supporter of your Christian ideas. It is the root of everything which you believe. 
You get to study the Bible according to how the Bible tells you to study. You get to interpret scriptures based off what the Holy, Holy Ghost reveals in the scriptures. 2 Peter 1, 20-21 says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in all time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. It's not of any private interpretation. It's of the interpretation of God. Now, we aren't going to get into all the things again, you know, about rightly dividing. Ask your discipler, ask your Bible study leader, take foundations two and three, take LFBI, purchase Mark Trotter's book on keys to Bible study, and little by little, God will teach you. You'll learn. So we rightly divide, but we rightly divide the word of truth. And the word of truth is the Bible. Okay, the word of truth is what the Bible describes as acceptable and certain words. It is through the Bible, and maybe it sounds self-explanatory, because it is. Maybe it sounds a little redundant, but it's absolutely necessary for us to be reminded of this. Because we can unintentionally abandon the words of truth. We can replace God's word with commentaries. We think we're studying the Bible by reading a commentary. We can replace the word of God with lexicons and dictionaries that define words. Instead of you comparing scripture to scripture, they come to God's truth. Instead of doing the labor of studying, you replace God's definitions with the usages of words in Blue Lair Bible's biblical definitions. You know, we open up that app, open up that intralinear section, click on the word of studying, look on their outline of biblical usage, and you replace the actual biblical definition with a wrong definition that's given by a man who doesn't even believe the Bible. Instead of being a workman and studying the scripture rightly, you came down to the wrong conclusion because you traded the word of God. And you traded in your personal relationship with God. You don't want to take a shortcut and replace God's word with the words of man. And maybe you think it's, it's, you know, it's not such a big deal. You, know, it's only, you come across a three-little word, O-F-T, oft, and you're like, I don't know what oft means. So you just, you know, it's only three letters. But listen, man, if you start falling into that thinking, you're going to fall into a snare. And like I said, we will become heretics and fall away from the faith and live a life, a worthless life. You know, do you think Blue Letter Bible's on your side? you think Blue Letter Bible cares about you? you think Blue Letter Bible cares about the certain words of truth? You know, I've seen in my, my own time, Blue Letter Bible straight up lying to the reader and subtly injecting doubt on the scriptures and the origin of your Bible. Not many, but I've seen many appear more. I see more appear. And so there are deceivers you need to be aware about who seek to usurp the authority of God's perfect word by having you put your trust in them rather than the word of God. And your end will not be good if you fall prey to that deception, whether intentional or unintentional by them. You know, when you, really, when you read something's mistranslated in your Bible, who are you going to believe? Are you going to trust the words of man or the words of God? Because you can put God's words on the throne, or you can subtly reject its authority by believing the words of men and not studying it. So, brethren, we got to reckon this. We must study the Bible according to the Bible, right? I don't know, all these key points, they're all self-explanatory. Because the Bible just says what it says and it means what it says. You know? We gotta study the Bible according to the Bible. Whatever the Bible says about studying it, that's how we gotta study it. And I tell you, many people out there are just a bunch of liars, man. They couldn't care less about the Word of God. I mean, I was doing some research on the Bible about some Bibles printed by Cambridge University Press and I was investigating some discrepancies. I sent them an email. 
I was like, I need some answers, man. I sent them an email, and they basically just told me this. They said, hey, you know, here's a book from a person who uh, doesn't care about the Word of God, and you might find the answer there. End of conversation. You know, I brought those same things up to our pastor, Sam, and he took the time to explain to me. When nobody else would give me some time. Pastor Sam would take the time to explain. And that means a lot. These people you can find on every corner. They don't care. They don't care about the words of God. They don't care about you. They don't care. They don't care about your walk of faith. They don't care about your struggles. They don't even know your name. John MacArthur doesn't care about you. Joel Osteen doesn't care about you. Jordan Peterson certainly doesn't care about you. They don't even know if you exist. All they care about is striving about words of no profit to the subverting of hearers whose word defeat as a canker. So who are you going to believe? Who? Will you put your faith in the book of the Lord or in the words of men? We looked at a bunch of things today. Really, the main things is that we must study the Bible. We must study the Bible. We must study so we're not ashamed when we meet Jesus, and but are found approved. That's why we must study, and we must study the Bible according to how the Bible prescribes us to. So, if you need to repent, then it's time to repent. And if you're in track, man, it's time to be encouraged, brother. Time to be encouraged and go help out another brother. Help out a younger brother and sister in the faith to learn the Bible, not despising them. And if this is all new to you, let's keep coming with the right heart. And God will change you, just like he changed me. A wicked man, come with the right heart, and God will give you much mercy and grace. Well, one of the things we didn't look at in regard to the word of truth is that the word of truth specifically also is the gospel. That's one of the things the word of truth is. It's the gospel of salvation. And studying the Bible, it requires, as we saw, the spirit of God. That's something it requires. So if you are not trusted in the gospel, you cannot study the Bible because you do not have the Holy Ghost. You don't have the Holy Spirit in you, and you're not saved, and you're doomed for hell. Ephesians 1.13, it says, In whom ye also trusted, after ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And so what you need to do is believe on the gospel. You need to reckon yourself a sinner, a wicked person who has done wrong in the sight of God, who deserves judgment for your sins. You deserve hellfire, is what the scripture says. And you need to reckon that and believe that Christ, despite your sin, he loved you. And he died on the cross for your sins, paying the penalty of your sins on the cross so that you would not have to endure that in hell. And that after three days and three nights, he rose from the dead so that you too could have eternal life and worship God in spirit and in truth. If you believe all, if you believe those things, all you need to do is ask God to save you in prayer as an act of repentance. And as the scripture says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so in a little bit, I think I got a little bit of time, so I'm going to share my testimony, but in a little bit, There'll be people up here and you could pray with them. You could come even up to me and we could pray together. Right? Whether it's something about salvation or something about studying the Bible. But 
to give you a little bit of my, of my testimony, like I said, I'm from California. Where I'm from, you know, there's, not, there's no Christians where I'm from. Um, like, I, like I said, in my high school, 1,000 students. Um, I knew like three, four Christians. Um, my calculus teacher, uh, Randy Guzik, who's the brother of David Guzik. I had no idea. But um, it was kind of funny. My teacher, Mr. Riley, uh, he was my journalism teacher. And, um, this one girl, she was like the biggest party animal in the whole school, and she got saved. And I was like, oh, interesting. I didn't know what to think about it at the time. And uh, this other girl, um, she came from a charismatic church, and it's pretty much the only Christians I, I knew. But uh, like I said, I didn't, I didn't grow up in a Christian family. My dad's from Vietnam. I know my mom's from, from Mexico. You know, you know, Mexicans, they are Catholic. And uh, generally speaking, you know, and Vietnamese are either atheist or, or Buddhist. And my dad, my dad's atheist. And uh, I had nobody to share with me the gospel. I asked for a Bible for Christmas. I remember it's on Amazon. I asked for it, it was like eleven dollars and ninety nine cents or something like that. I double check now, same Bible, it's twenty dollars with inflation, you know. <laughs> but uh it was just a pew Bible. It was a pew Bible, and that was the only Bible I you know, I didn't know about these nice fancy leather Bibles. It was just a pew pew Bible. And I asked for that Bible for Christmas. And somebody gave me that Bible for Christmas. And I wanted to know God. I wanted to have purpose in my life. And so I decided, I'm going to read this Bible. And if God's real, I believe I can find God in this Bible. And I read it. I read that King James Bible. And like I said, I didn't understand a lot. I just you know, went through it, skimmed a lot. And, but I came across Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, and I read it real quick. I, had, I stopped after reading it. Something clicked in my head. And I read that passage. And I read there. If you don't know about Isaiah 53, you don't know about Isaiah. I mean, it's like 800, 700 B.C., long time ago. But it says Isaiah 53 is talking about, this. it's like the clearest Scripture on the first coming of Christ, you know, before Christ came. And it, it says this. It says, he's a man. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was not despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord have laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, and he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he opened, if not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, he hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied by his knowledge, shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. So I skipped over some verses there, but... But I read that scripture in high school. And I, at the same time I was looking online, I was looking at all types of 
you know, street preachers preach the gospel on YouTube. And I was comparing what they said, the Old Testament with the New Testament, to see if it was true. And I came across this passage, and that's when I knew. Oh, I read that that second time after reading it real quick. I came back, I go, hold up. And I read it real slowly. I read line by line. And I saw and knew that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I knew that Jesus Christ was the true God who loved me. And a few months later, after I was willing to repent of my sin, I cried out to God to save me. And that's how I got saved. God changed my life. And so, um, I don't know if we're going to close in worship. I don't know if that's the protocol. But um, like I said, come on up. If you need to pray about studying, if you need to pray to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, or see what the Scripture says about Christ, come up. And uh, I'll pray us. I'll close this in prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for this time in your word. And uh, I pray, Lord, that you would be able to study. And not just study, but learn to live out and experience the scriptures personally in our lives. I do pray for that, and I pray for people to receive peace, that they might have uh, peace in your word. And so I do pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.li.com.